I have to confess, in case you haven't noticed, I'm getting older. <laughs> or should I say I'm getting old? But I've come to the, uh, to the point where I realize that I cannot and I will not retire anytime soon. I've been in industrial sales for like 45 years and, and I'm fortunate and blessed enough to really like what I do. However, a lot of the people that I've been working with over these years are starting to retire. And you know, it kind of sounds nice. What do they say? You don't set your alarm clock, you sleep in until 10 or 11 every morning. <laughs> you have lunch, you go out to dinner, you come back, you binge watch your favorite TV shows and life is a piece of cake, right? But um, I would say that if you ask our retirees like Don and Betty, uh, they would say, tell you something different. That they're busier now than they were when they actually worked. So um, and people ask me all the time, don't you work? Says, yeah, I work all the time. I just don't get paid for everything I do. And so it is the same with our retirees. As believers and servants of Jesus Christ, we are called to serve the Lord all the days of our lives. And I'm convinced that that is something we don't ever retire from. And the Lord's work is something that we can do and should do until our very last breath. So there's no scripture verse that tells us that at the age of 65, we can hang it up. Oh, sure, our work will change and our calling changes as we get older. Our responsibilities alter. But the Lord will direct each and every one of us into what he wants us to do in these final sunshine, sunset days of our lives. And we want to be faithful to that calling. I think about Pastor Dave, Dave Butler. He was called to preach the word of God at a very young age. And he was faithful to that calling all of his life which was shortened by cancer. And in the last months of his life, Pastor Dave really wanted to preach one more time. And so we put a ramp down here and he got in his power chair and he rode up the stage and he sat in his chair and he preached from the book of Revelation. He was 69 years old, very close to death, and he did pretty good. He preached faithfully the word of God. He was faithful to the end. I think about Pastor John MacArthur. Dr. MacArthur is 81 years old, and to this day he's still the lead pastor of Grace Community Church in California. And he has served in that capacity for 51 years. He has written or edited over 81 books, including one of my favorite, the MacArthur Study Bible. And I would venture to say that he is busier today than he has ever been in his life. He is faithful to the end, doing the Lord's work. One of my favorite Bible studies is Caleb. I'm sorry, one of my favorite Bible characters is Caleb. Remember him? Uh, Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies. They were the only two that brought back a good report when they spied out the good land that they were supposed to inherit. And so God judged Israel for not going into the land and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Well, Caleb survived those 40 years and when it was time for him to take possession of the land that God promised him, this is what he said. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. 
And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country in which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. And it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Not bad for an 85-year-old. And that's exactly what he did. He defeated the giants and he possessed the land. And I find that very encouraging. Well, today we're going to look at Psalm 145, which was the last of 73 psalms written by David. And the final one that he wrote in his old age. David never retired. He kept on serving the Lord. And one of the last things he did in his life was to inaugurate his son Solomon to his throne as king. And scholars believe that it was then that David penned Psalm 145. It's a song of praise. And after he had completed everything that God wanted him to do, he died. First Chronicles 29 tells us, Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. The time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. And he reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Then he died at a good age, full of days, riches, and honor. And that's how I want to go out. If you have a Bible, would you turn with me or look at your bulletin? We're going to take a look at Psalm 145 now. And you can follow along in your bulletin as I read. A Song of Praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, 
but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Well, this morning we're going to dig into Psalm 145, kind of like we do on Wednesday nights. We're going to see what David, or rather the Holy Spirit, has to say to us. And I think we're going to discover that the main point is this. David, king of Israel, extols the king of eternity for who he is, for what he has done, and for what he has promised. And we're going to break our time down into this outline. First, the opening statement, verse 1 and 2. Then David praises God for his greatness, verses 3 to 7. David praises God for his grace, verses 8 to 13a. David praises God for his faithfulness, 13b to 16. David praises God for his righteousness, 17 to 20. And his concluding statement in verse 21. The title of the sermon today is An Alphabet of Praise. And that's because Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm. A psalm in which each verse begins with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's in sequence. The first being Aleph, the second Beth, the third Jamel, and so on. If we were to write an acrostic psalm, it would be something like this. Awesome is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful and glorious is his throne. Creator of the universe is he and all that there is within. Defender of the helpless. Eternal king. Father of compassion. God of grace. And so on. Now there are eight acrostic psalms in scripture. And the most famous being Psalm 119. And David wrote five of them. It's interesting to note that while there are 22 letters in the alphabet, there are only 21 verses in this psalm. And that's because the standard Hebrew text for, for this psalm lacks a verse for the Hebrew letter none, which is why there are only 21 verses. And some scholars blame this on the transcribers. But don't worry. A couple of texts, the Dead Sea Scrolls and an ancient Syriac version Supply the missing word. And these appear in the second half of verse 13. And it says, The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. You'll find these in the New International Version, the Revised Standard Version, the English Standard Version, and the newer ones after that, but not in the King James or the New King James. Now, the title of Psalm 145 is A Song of Praise of David. A song of praise, how appropriate for David the musician to write this monumental praise song. It's a fitting summary of all that David had learned about God during a lifetime of following hard after the Lord. After all that David has been through, what could be more appropriate than worshiping God in a song of praise? David's opening statement says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And here David is saluting God as his king. This is a significant statement because David is the humble king servant of Israel. 
And he recognizes that the Lord is not only his king, but he is the king of all kings, the ultimate king of all creation and all persons. He is your king because he made you and he rules over you, whether you acknowledge his rule or not. And what does this ultimate king of kings deserve? What can we give this king when we come into his presence? What can we give anyone who has everything, who owns it all? The only thing we can offer is our praise of worship. And this is exactly what David says he will do. These nearly parallel lines that we just read make three statements. I will extol you. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. I will extol you means I will praise you. It's kind of a weird word. Praise is worship. It's acknowledging that God is what he truly is. He's sovereign. He's holy. He's just, merciful, awesome, majestic, and so on. And it's doing what David does throughout the rest of the psalm and what he will do forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. Every day I will praise you. Not just on the Sabbath. And for us, not just on Sunday mornings. David is going to praise God every day throughout the rest of his life. I will praise your name forever and ever. And David means more than he's going to praise God until he dies. He really means forever and ever. David proclaims that he will be worshiping God in heaven even after his worship on earth is done. And we too, those of us in Christ, will worship God forever in heaven along with David and the other redeemed saints from all the ages of world history. So what David does, what does David praise God for in this psalm? He praises God for his greatness, his grace, his faithfulness, and his righteousness. All right, we'll look at verse 3. David praises God for his greatness. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. What a simple statement. When I was uh, growing up as children, my parents taught this to us. The Lord is great. And every, uh, at every meal, before we ate, we would say this grace. He said, God is great. God is good. And we thank him for our food. And our parents taught us this even before they really knew the Lord. So they didn't get saved for 10 years after this. But they knew enough about God that he was great, and that's what he taught us. And I think that stuck with me all my life. The greatness of God can be seen in nature, in the oceans, in the highest peaks of the mountains, in the lowest valleys, in the power of the storms. The greatness of God who created it is, is, is displayed in all. Last night I took Penny for a walk, and I don't know if you noticed, but there was a full moon. And it was so beautiful. It was amazing. It was almost like being in daytime. But the moon has this effect of making it look like a black light everywhere. And we looked up. We saw some planets. We saw the stars. And it just brought to my heart how awesome God is, how awesome the power of God is, that he was able to speak all of this into existence, how majestic his power must be. The creation story in Genesis proclaims the greatness of God, the almighty power of God. And he just spoke everything into being. 
the sun, the moon, the stars, which he calls by name. I love it in John 1 when he confirms the greatness of God this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This greatness deserves to be praised, and praised greatly. Such greatness is unsearchable, it's unfathomable. Who can comprehend it? I think the greatness of God is absolutely mind-boggling. Verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. For over 3,000 years, these and that was since the time of Moses. One generation has been commending the works of our great God to the next. Generation after generation has been passing along the stories of our great and mighty God. And today, we even have the written word of God. So we can commend the mighty acts to future generations. And this is what God commanded Israel to do. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign of your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, and when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Some of my favorite times when Steve was growing up was at bedtime. And he'd be all snuggled up under the covers, and I'd be sitting in the chair next to him, reading Bible stories, telling him about Jesus, and we'd be praying together. I think we did that all of his life, probably till high school. <laughs> but there's something incredible about the, the faith of an innocent little child who can grasp and and just receive the concept of scripture so easily. You know, I'm really excited when I see people raising their children up to know the Lord, teaching one generation to the next. I look at Justin and Aaron and Katie and Wes, how they bring their kids to church so that we can help them teach their children the gospel. I think of uh, our God-grandchildren, Justin, uh, Justin and Caroline's kids, Reese and Colton, and they just are soaking up the gospel. So one generation is teaching the next generation the truth of God. When I think about the glorious splendor of the majesty of Jesus Christ, I remember the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is in response to verse 5. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate so think about the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus, the man, went up the mountain with Peter, James, and John and revealed himself as God to them. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. 
If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That must have been a stunning moment. So stunning, they probably passed out. The Lord had to touch them and wake them up. I love the glorious splendor, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it's described in Revelation 1, where it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Sometimes I think about how awesome it's going to be at that moment when I get to see the glorious majesty and the splendor of Jesus Christ. When I cross on the river or when I hear the trumpet and the shout and I meet him in the clouds, I think I'm going to look him right in the eyes and I'm going to probably faint just like John did. And then I'm going to hear him say, welcome home beloved son. What a day that will be, a great and mighty God we serve. And that leads us to our next point. David praises God for his grace. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. These words sound just like the ones we read earlier in Exodus 34, 6. That's when God revealed himself to Moses at Mount Sinai. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's an incredible statement. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is slow to anger. And the Lord is abounding in steadfast love. If not for the grace of the Lord, received by faith, in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we would be separated from God for all of eternity, suffering in the pains of hell. But Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. One of my favorite scriptures that describes us so well is Ephesians 2, 4-9. But God... Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Praise God for this immeasurable gift, the gift of his steadfast love and mercy. Thank God that he is slow to anger, or we'd all be doomed. Verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All of us, including every living creature on the face of earth, live under the goodness, grace, and mercy of God. And this is called common grace. I found a good description of it. Common grace is that which is given to both sinners and saints. The Lord sends his rain upon the just and the unjust. The sinner enjoys the sunny days just as much as the Christian does. Therefore, the sunshine is given by God to all. It is his common grace. Jesus said that God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That is common grace. And David understood common grace. And he worshiped the Lord for his goodness to all and his mercy over all that he has made. In the next part of Psalm 145, there's a strong emphasis on God's kingdom over which he is Lord and King. This is in verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. I think what David probably was talking about was the millennial kingdom when Christ reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Or perhaps it's the eternal kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth, where all the redeemed saints of all the ages will live with Christ and the Father. The everlasting kingdom filled with glorious splendor of God himself. This is how it's described in Revelation 22. Then the angels showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will be worshiping him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. For all of eternity, the works of God will give thanks to the Lord, and all the saints shall bless the Lord, and all will speak of God's glory, his power, and all will testify about God's mighty deeds and glorious splendor. We will have all of eternity to sing the praises to the one whose grace has saved us and to the one who purchased us with his own blood and the one who cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Next, we see that David praises God for his faithfulness. Verse 13b, the Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. I love how the Bible speaks of the wonderful words of Jesus when he walked on the earth. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, how has this man have this, have this learning when he has never studied? 
The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied with him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and you have come to know, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Lord is faithful in all his words. And I love the beautiful words Jesus spoke in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think it's really important to know that the Lord is faithful and that he is kind. I think a lot of people think God is up in heaven with a big hammer waiting to hit us. But the Lord is kind in all his works. I love it when the Bible and the Gospels talk about the kindness of Jesus. A leper who was desperate ran up to Jesus and bowed on his face and he said to Jesus Lord if you will you can make me whole and Jesus was so moved with pity and in kindness he stretched out his hand and touched this leper and he said I will be clean and immediately the leprosy left this guy and was made clean the gospels are full of Jesus' acts of kindness, how he fed the multitudes, how he healed everybody, how he delivered people from demons. And John said, now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The Lord is so faithful, so kind, and so gentle. Praise the Lord. Now in these next verses, David proclaims the faithfulness of God. In verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are failing, falling and raising up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. And you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord cares for his creation. When we fall down, he lifts us up. When we are bowed down by distress, he restores us. When we are hungry, he feeds us. When we look to him, he opens his hand and he satisfies us with good things. And God not only does this for human beings, David says he does it for all living things, every living creature. And he praises God because the Lord cares for everything. Even Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's knowledge? Well, finally, David praises God for his righteousness. Verses 17 to 20. And he says, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, and again, kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And I think the word righteous here refers to the fact that God is upright or just in responding to those who have needs 
and who call on him, and to those who are in peril, whom he saves. The Lord is righteous. He is kind. Verse 18 says that God is near to all who call on him. And I think that means he answers their prayers. Jesus said, whenever you ask anything in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The Lord is near to those who love him. He is kind, he is faithful, he is righteous. And when we call upon the Lord in truth, when we ask anything in accordance with his will, he will do it because he is righteous and he will fulfill his promises. And verse 19 says that the Lord fulfills the desire of those who fear him. And David says it this way in Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in the Lord, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we fear the Lord, revere him, honor him, then I think our heart's desires will be totally in line with the Lord's will for our life, and he will grant them. The end of verse 19 adds, adds this. He also hears their cry and saves them. When we cry out to the Lord, he hears us and he saves us. I remember when I was 19, and the guy was telling me about the Bible. There was a pastor who was telling me about how I was condemned to hell. And if I didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ, that if I died, I'd be separated from God forever. And he kept hammering away, hammering away, hammering away, scripture after scripture. And I finally said, okay, okay. And I prayed with them there, and I received Jesus as my Savior. But nobody ever told me that life would be hard, that the walk would be tough. And I backslid so badly for years. But God was always talking in my ear, telling me to come back, come home, come back, stop, repent. And I got to the point in my life, probably 10 years later, where I was so desperate that I cried out to God, save me. And he did. He came back into my life, not that he ever left, but he came into my heart. He cleansed me up, washed me, and put me back on the road. And I've walked on that road ever since. Not perfect. But he cleanses me every time I sin. He answered my cry, Lord, save me. The Lord watches all over, over all those who love him. Verse 20 adds, the Lord preserves all who love him. Throughout our entire lives, 
God shows him to be a good, caring, saving, and persevering God. And this certainly doesn't mean that life's going to be easy. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But those who are in Christ will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, endure to the end. Because our righteous Lord preserves all who love him. There, was, there were 10 years of my life when you could, couldn't say that I was saved. Couldn't look at what I was doing and say, oh, he's, he's a Christian. But the Holy Spirit enabled me to come back, to endure to the end. Kind of like the prodigal son. He was there waiting and rejoicing in my repentance. At this point in Psalm 145, like most of David's psalms, David speaks of God's uncompromising judgment upon the wicked. And this is kind of what Duke, that pastor, was telling me. He states at the end of verse 20, but all the wicked he will destroy. A short statement, all the wicked he will destroy. The wicked are all those who would not come to Christ. All those who would not receive the free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus. All those who refuse to allow the Lord to save them. They're the ones traveling through the wide gate. They're taking the easy way. But it's the way that leads to destruction. And there are many people that go this way to their doom. That was the road I was on. The road to destruction. But our loving, merciful God did everything possible to save us, to save me. The Father sent his only begotten Son as a substitute to die in our place so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord for his righteousness. Now we come to David's concluding statement where he says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. But these are the last words that David said in the Bible. It's kind of like his last will and testament, his epitaph, his legacy. After a long and tough life, David summarizes it all here. And he kind of draws the bottom line with praise to the Lord. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And then, as it's fitting, he invites all creation to join him in praising God and blessing his holy name. And finally, in faith, he states that his praise and the praise of all creation will be forever and ever. So in summary, in this last Psalm of David, what have we learned about who God is, what God has done, and what he has promised? Who God is. God is God and King. 
God is great. God is greatly to be praised. God's greatness is unsearchable. We learned about God's glorious splendor of his majesty, his abundant goodness, his righteousness. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. He is good to all. His mercy is over all. He is faithful in all his words. He is kind, righteous in all his ways, kind in all his works, near to all who call on him. What has God done, and what will he continue to do? He raises all, he raises up all who are bound down. He gives them their food. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. He preserves all who love him, and he will destroy all the wicked. All right, so what now? What do we do with this knowledge? Well, we praise the Lord. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you've never confessed your sins and repented and come to Christ for forgiveness, if you decided, if you have decided not to do this, or you're just not quite ready to do this, or maybe you don't need to do this, know this. You are among the wicked. I was among the wicked. And if you were to die in that state, which is exactly what this pastor told me, God will destroy you in the eternal flames of hell where there is wailing and gnashing of teeth forever. But if you were to come to faith in Christ, if you were to believe that his death on the cross paid for your sins, if you would confess your sins and repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, God will cleanse away every sin and you will be declared righteous. And someday, you will join all the believers of all the ages in heaven and you will be forever with the Lord. Sounds like a pretty good deal. For those of us who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ, Praise the Lord. Every day, praise the Lord. And as we said earlier, the gate is narrow and the way is tough, but the Lord is with us every step of the way. We're all living in difficult times now. We're facing seemingly impossible troubles and struggles, but the Lord knows everything that we're going through. He has a purpose and a plan that may not make sense to us now, but he has promised that everything will work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Some of us are getting old and facing the physical problems that come with aging. But let's be like David, like Caleb, like Pastor Dave. Never give up. Do the Lord's work as long as you can and praise the Lord every day. Some of us are facing sickness, illness, disease, like cancer, liver disease, Alzheimer's, kidney failure, COVID-19, the list goes on. 
But the Lord knows exactly what you're going through. I am convinced that nothing happens outside the permissive, providential will of God. And everything will work out for good and His glory. So praise the Lord with every ounce of strength you have left. Until the very last. Some of us are facing problems in the home. Problems at work. Problems in our marriage. Problems with unemployment. Problems with money. Problems with children. With parents. Problems with loneliness. But the Lord knows. He is with us every minute of every hour of every day. So praise the Lord for who he is, for what he has done, and what he will do. Finally, church, we're going to be facing some challenging times coming up in the near future. The Lord is going to be calling us to follow him in trust and faith. We are a family. We are his family, his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So never give up. Never give in. Never quit. The Lord is with us every step of the way. And always, always, every day, through every tough circumstance, always remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, what he has promised for us, eternal life with him forever. And someday, maybe soon, we will join together with believers from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, maybe in the clouds, in joyous praise and worship of the living, holy, righteous, just, gracious, and merciful God we serve. We'll do that for all of eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to be like David. I want to have a heart after God like David did. I want to be able to sing praise and to write praise and to worship God and, and give you the praise that you deserve for who you are. You are a great God. You are to be praised greatly. God, forgive us for the times that we just take for granted. For the gifts that you give us that we just take for granted. For the many blessings that you give to us that we ignore. For the opportunities that we have to serve you that we don't. For our lack of faith. For our apathy. Lord God, you are so good. You've given us everything. Father, you've given us the most precious thing you have. That's your son. You sent him into this world to pay the penalty for our sin. And Jesus, you gave us your blood. You gave us your life. So that we could be declared righteous. So that our sins would be forgiven. Oh, Lord, we owe you so much. But there's nothing that we could pay for this. Nothing. We could do to earn this. All we have is our praise and our gratitude 
for what you've done for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've sent to convict us of our sin, to tell us of the word of God, to tell us of our need of a Savior. Oh, Lord, help us to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit at all times, who strengthens us, who leads us, who guides us into all truth. And we thank you for the word of God, for from it we can teach generation after generation the truth of Scripture so that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren will be saved. Lord, help us, strengthen us, teach us, lead us, guide us, mold us. Make us more like Jesus. We ask this for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.